Welcome to the Arise Church podcast, where we're awakening the world to the reality of Jesus. I remember a pastor sharing with me one time about how um, he had been praying and God took him back. He was in his 30s. God took him back to when he was about 13 years old, something he had really hadn't thought about in years. And he saw himself standing on the back porch of his house, tears just streaming down his face as he watched his father driving off, leaving his family. And there he was, crying his eyes out, heartbroken over what his dad was doing. And he said to his mom, I can't understand how it is that people who say they love you can turn around and hurt you like this. And he said, you know, I realized that even though that was, you know, almost 20 years ago, there's still a 13-year-old in me that's confused, that's angry. That can't understand what he did. A 13-year-old that's even blaming himself for his dad leaving. And I realized that that 13-year-old needs to come to Jesus and come to the cross. Lots of things happen in our lives that, so for someone here, it may not be something that just happened maybe recently, but it's something that happened maybe years ago. Do you invite the Holy Spirit to just show you if there's anything that you're really mad at God about, that you're angry about? Yeah, that's one of the things about these disappointments. They, they feel anger at God, don't they? I don't know what you do when you get angry. Uh, I tend to withdraw. You see <laughs> how that affects your ability to re- receive God's love. Another thing about these disappointments, they just damage our trust receptors, don't they? We're not sure we can trust God. Whatever it is, you pray and ask the Lord to show you. I remember talking to a, a seminary student who said to me, you know, God showed me the other day how mad I am at him, at God. He said, I thought I'd dealt with this, but how mad I am about my wife's miscarriage that happened about three years ago. And she 
it was hard on me, he said, but oh, she just, it was so hard on her. And I watched her suffer, and it just tore me up. And the Lord showed me how mad I am. You know, someone here tonight may need to forgive God. That may sound kind of strange or... Wait up. When you forgive someone, does not mean they've done something bad to you or wrong to you? Well, no. God hasn't done something bad or wrong, but he has allowed things to have happened maybe that you think he should have prevented. And you may need to, you may need to, to say, God, I forgive you. Well, disappointments with God. I want a second barrier. I call these walls of protection that we build around our hearts to protect ourselves from the pain of loving. C.S. Lewis wrote a book on love years ago called The Four Loves. And in that book, he, he writes, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even to an animal. Oh, a dog or a cat can break your heart, can't they? Anytime we love, we put ourselves in a position where we can get hurt. We make ourselves vulnerable, don't we? I remember Jennifer saying to me, I learned early on that anytime you trust someone, you leave yourself vulnerable and weak. And what do we do when our heart's been broken? We say, never again, don't we? I'm not going to let that happen to me again. And we oftentimes put a wall around our hearts to protect ourselves. Now, let me just say, sometimes when your heart's been broken, you need to heal, and in healing, you may need to set some boundaries You're not in a place where you're ready to stick yourself out there again. That's a good thing. What I'm talking about here is a more kind of settled disposition that says, I'll just never, ever let that happen to me again. I, I didn't realize how profoundly I had done this I grew up in India. My parents were missionaries over there. And when I was seven years old, I got sent away to boarding school. And so between the second grade and the eighth grade, with the exception of the fifth grade, when we were back here in the States, um, I was away from mom and dad for 
between nine and 10 months, 500 miles away every year. Now, I had a really good boarding school experience, made lots of lifelong friends, got a really good education. Actually, when we came back and moved to Jessamine County, I would have gotten a better education if I'd have stayed at that boarding school in India than the one I got here. It, you know, so it, it was a good education. We had good teachers and people that cared about us, and we were up 7,000 feet above sea level in a beautiful sort of vacation area where there was a lot of hiking and lakes and all the rest of it. So there were a lot of really good things about it. But I was telling a Christian counselor about that one time when we were kind of going through a family crisis. And he looked at me and he said, well, all that stuff you've shared with me about how good that was, that may all well be true, but the fact is no seven-year-old is ready for the kind of emotional separation and independence that was just sort of thrust on you. Boy, Steve, he said, it must have hurt. I remember going home and thinking, did it hurt? I don't feel any hurt. And I kind of prayed a dangerous prayer. I said, Holy Spirit, you're the one that guides us into all truth. If it hurt, would you help me get connected to that? And you know, it was interesting because over the next year, some things began to happen. Some things I read, some conversations I had with an old boarding school roommate, just. And I started remembering things like the day my mom left me for the first time. And how when I saw the pain in her eyes, because this was tearing her up more than it was even tearing me up. I said, I'll be a good soldier. And you know, there were times I got connected to the deep loneliness and the ache in my heart. And I realized that there had come a point where I had sort of made a vow. You know what my vow was? I'll never, ever need anybody, ever again. You know, when you don't need anybody, then when they're not there, it doesn't hurt so much, right? Well, yeah, but you know, in order to do that, something in you has to die. And I had put a wall around my heart. And it was affecting me, my ability to be emotionally present to my wife and my four children. I could be physically present, but, you know, the light's on the back porch, but there's nobody home.
Now I remember that afternoon when two seminary students laid hands on their professor and prayed for him. And Jesus came. I, I used to call it a coconut shell that I'd put around my heart. Jesus came and cracked the coconut. And I've been on a journey, actually, ever since. And you know, that was keeping me from being able to experience God's love. And it was after that that I began to really experience. God wanted me to experience that love all, but you know, I put a wall around my heart. I wonder if someone here has done something like that because you've gotten hurt loving. Ask the Lord. Just one more. One more barrier. And th this one's a little takes a little explaining, but it has to do with lies that we've believed about ourselves that have convinced us that we're unlovable. Let me, let me explain it like this. Um, have you ever had real bad body odor and you knew it? You know, maybe you've been working out in the gym or you've been, you know, doing some yard work on a really hot summer day or, you know, you, or you just whatever. Or maybe you just haven't had a chance to get a shower or a bath for several days, you know, and you, uh, you, you think you smell something and then you, you sort of think, oh, it's me. <laughs> so just imagine that you've got real bad body odor and you know it and I show up, and I walk in the room where you are, and I haven't seen you for maybe five years or so, and my eyes just light up. I am just so thrilled to see you, and I just kind of come running over toward you, and I just want to bear hug you. Now, what would you do? I think some of you here, uh, you'd, you'd just... No, you'd just stop me. You'd say, oh, no, Steve, you don't want to do that right now. You know, I, I smell. I stink. Probably most of you wouldn't be, well, you, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't do, you wouldn't say anything. But, you know, when I put my arms around you and just trying to love on you and show you my affection... You probably have a hard time really receiving that, wouldn't you? Because you're probably sitting there thinking, I wonder, does he smell me? Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. You know, if you're convinced you smell, or if you're convinced you're unlovable, that there's just something fundamentally, you might just say, unlovable about you, then does it really matter how much love God has? You're <laughs> going to have a hard time receiving that.
you know, Henry Nouwen, great spiritual writer, uh, says that self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, Jesus, the Father is saying to you what he said to his beloved son. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter in whom I'm one well pleased. But if he's saying that to you and you're saying back to him, no, I'm not. I can't be your beloved son. I can't be your beloved daughter. Everyone else can, but not me. I smell. I'm not lovable. Well, what Nouwen is saying here is if, if God is saying clean, but you're saying back to him unclean, Until you and God get on the same page, you might say, you're not going to be able to really receive his love, are you? I wonder if you've believed that, lie, that kind of lie about yourself. As I've worked with people, sometimes it's because of some sin or failure in their lives. You know, something they did that they're not proud of, that they're really ashamed about. And even though they've kind of asked Jesus to forgive them for that, they probably never have really forgiven themselves. Sometimes it's because of... And Satan's an accuser, isn't he? And he throws stuff up in your face. God can't love you. Look what you did. Or maybe you just got a lot of messages growing up from people that just told you in one way or another that you're no good, that you're unlovable. It's amazing what sometimes people say to other people and how hurtful they can be. I, I don't know what it might be. Well, these are three common barriers. Disappointments with God, walls that we put around our hearts, and then lies that we believe. Maybe there's someone here tonight that needs to renounce the lie. That you've done something that makes you, that disqualifies you from ever being able to receive the good stuff, you might say, God's love for you. You know, I was thinking tonight in preparation for this how all three of these barriers sort of get addressed at the cross of Christ. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why? he seemed to experience something like disappointment with God. Walls came down when Jesus was crucified. 
the veil of the temple, as well as the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, and the lies. You know, the cross, the cross says that when you and I were at our worst, when you and I were most unlovable, God loved us the most. Bring your disappointments with God. Bring the walls. Bring the lies. Bring everything to the cross. Later on tonight, as we enter into a time of Holy Communion, there's no better way to do that than to come to the Lord's table. But before we go there, Jessica Avery is going to share a little bit of her story uh, with us in terms of what God's been up to. Thank you, Dr. Siemens. It's a little bit like you've been reading my journals. So um, thanks for sharing that. Um, if any of you were part of Awakening Project, and particularly the Tuesday nights, it was a conference our church did a few weeks ago, um, for those that are newer to us, um, where we had college students come in. On the Tuesday night where we ended up pushing the, the night later, we said it was going to start at 7, then we're like, just kidding, 7.30, and then we actually started closer to 8 that night, kept pushing it back. Um, I'm going to explain to you sort of what happened that day <laughs> and why things got pushed back. So sorry about making you wait, but I'm not sorry about what the Lord did <laughs> um, uh, in me and around me that day. Uh, so a little bit of backstory. Um, just like Dr. Siemens was talking about the, the lies that we believe, probably the biggest lie that has just filled my head and shaped my life, the entirety of my life, is that I'm not loved and that I'm not lovable. Um, something I've just, just held deeply dear as part of my identity my whole life, and there's a few things that sort of contributed to that. Um, and in my life, it's not necessarily the things that have happened as much as, as the things that did not happen in my life that have caused me a lot of heartache and grief. Um, so in my childhood, I'm from like a kind family. My parents still love each other. I mean, it's, we, I grew up in a really great home where there was a lot of love, um, but there wasn't a lot of attention given to children in my house. There was just a busyness, and me and my dad was in the middle of launching a business, and my mom taught school, and so by the time she got home from school, um, and my dad, you know, she was kind of on her own with us as kids, and she was tired of kids by the time she got home. And so that was just a, I remember just spending a lot of my childhood trying to stay out of the way, just trying to, like, not need much, not ask for much, not um, demand anything. And I spent a ton of time alone when I was a kid as well. I had a cousin who lived down the street who was my sister's age, so the two of them would kind of go off. And, um, and I just spent a ton of time alone. And I just would always think, like, it's just so hard to get adult attention. It's so hard to get the affirmation, the the face-to-face, -face, the how was your day kind of stuff. I just did not come by that in my childhood very much, even though I had a perfectly wonderful, nice family. So that, that um, sort of set the idea in my mind that I wasn't worthy of being paid attention to. I wasn't worthy of love. I wasn't worthy of affection. And then as I got older, um, I kind of always in my head imagined like I would get married and have a family. That's kind of always what I wanted. And the family context is really often, again, where you do the most giving and receiving love. 
um, and I turned 40 a few weeks ago, and I never have married. I never have had children. And so the disappointment of that um, has really swallowed me up in some seasons of my life of just being like, okay, like this is, I'm really alone in the world. And I've had several times, I've moved to a new city alone, I think five times in my life. Um, and just all that it takes internally to go to somewhere new and to present your whole self all over again and to find your people all over again. And all of that sort of stuff has just really cemented in my heart in many ways that I'm not loved and I'm not lovable. Um, and, you know, when you meet somebody, the, one of the first things that they always ask you, particularly if you're um, like a woman, people always say like, oh, do you have kids? Like, that's kind of like what women immediately bond over. And every time I say, no, you know, I never married, I don't have kids. It, it's like an identity thing that like reminds me of this narrative that plays over and over and over to me. And so there's deep things of identity around um, family are not there for me in some ways. And then the next thing that people always ask if, you know, they strike out on the kid thing is, well, then what do you do? And vocationally, I've just really walked through a lot of heartache too. Um, partly for the fact that I am single and female, it makes it hard to figure out like where I fit in the church and uh, like what my calling is and where I can where I can be. Those things have been really kind of hard to navigate. And then the particular skill set that I have is not like the one that normally like you can you can look at the the church like job descriptions and be like, oh it's this one. My my giftings tend to be like administrative, which means I'm usually like working on a spreadsheet. And my giftings um, I also I love um, like apostolic things, like planting new things, launching stuff, sending people out, training people, things that multiply. Um, but almost no, that's not, that, that's not a job description. <laughs> My favorite thing to do is to introduce people to each other. I'm like, do you know so-and-so? Y'all need to know each other. You will make each other better. Go and be friends. That's the main gift that I carry, but like that's not an actual, like how do you explain that to anything? And what's the value of that? And you can't ever tell when you're succe succeeding or failing because you never know how the relationship turns out or the difference that it makes. And it's like a 30-year journey. And so all of those things have kind of like come together in my life to be like, okay, I feel vocationally really uncertain with all of this stuff. I feel uncertain around family things. I don't know where I'm loved. I don't know where I'm valued. I don't know. Like it's always been a confusing thing for me. Um, and so let's fast forward to Awakening Project. So we're out at Cane Ridge, um, which is the site of the Second Great Awakening, and we're telling this historic sto story of awakening there, and then we share a story about awakening on college campuses. So the pastor from my um, campus from college was there sharing about awakening that we experienced, and we started talking about the downstream effects, like what happens after awakening. It spreads to a person, it spreads to a person, it spreads to a person, it goes down the line. So we're kind of telling that story, um, and so I'm telling the story of how um, all of these people had experienced awakening at the University of Georgia, gone out into ministry and are doing different things. Um, and several famous Christians have come out of there who have gone on to do things that like are in the spotlight. I can say their names. You would know their books, their churches, their ministries. And then there's like piles and piles and thousands of other people who have quieter ministries. And that's what I was trying to share. And I was saying that about myself. You know, I was like, you know, there's just people over here like me, like really not that just totally forgotten, unimportant, making spreadsheets for Jesus. It's just like if we're just quiet people doing this kind of stuff. And in the middle of that moment, sweet Alan Hood, who doesn't know anything about just the lies I believe, the pits that I've been in, the way that this has been a struggle in my life, really um, interjected. And he was like, Jessica, that's really not who you are. <laughs> like, you've got this call to awakening. There's fire in your hands. And really spoke a lot of life and identity. And 
and affirmed the gifts that I have that feel like I don't ever know where they fit um, in the history of my life. And, and so it was super healing to me. Um, and the Lord just descended and came down in a really significant way and met me. And it was one of those moments that I, I almost felt like I was standing outside of myself and watching it happen. It was such a profound moment where God came so near and set so much of the narrative of my life um, Right. It's like it canceled all of the things that I'd believed and it broke some of those past hurts. Um, and the Lord really, really, really ministered to me. There were tons of college students there who didn't know any of the backstory, but they could witness and see that God had done something. And even still, they keep saying, that time that God came to you, whoa, some of that got on me. And it was so powerful that it had a way of, of flowing out and of redirecting that stuff. And I guess the moment where I really, really knew that I had come near to the love of God and that things were different and something had shifted in my soul is, um, I mean, I was like very bewildered. I didn't know, I mean, it's like, I couldn't have even told you what month we were in, you know, when all this was going on. I got in my car to leave to come back for dinner and I'm in the car by myself and I just started singing the first song that started to come out of my heart and it came from my childhood. Um, if y'all went to church camp, you might have grown up singing, um, I've got a river of life coming out of me, makes the lame to walk and the blind to see, opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Um, and that's, you know, very Isaiah 61. Um, but I just, I was so aware that the Lord um, had done that in me and how near he had come that I knew that I wouldn't be the same again. Um, and so that's my prayer, you know, that we can all encounter the love of God in such a significant way, that we can know that he's touched us, that we can know that we're different, that we can um, have some of those lies broken so that his love can come through. Um, and so Dr. Siemens is going to come up and lead us in a time of reflection and prayer. Amen. Amen. Paul said that every time we come to the Lord's table, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we remember what he did. One thing about remembering, we tend to think of remembering as something that's just a sort of mental thing. You know, it's my memory. I remember a fact. But that word remember that Jesus used, do this in remembrance of me, has to do with something that may have happened thousands of years ago, but bringing it right into the present here and now. And so tonight, as we come to the Lord's table, uh, we're going to remember. And Jesus is going to meet us in the breaking of the bread and in the taking of the cup. He's here tonight. And in just a few min minutes, I'm going to encourage you and invite you just to come to the table. There's elements, let's see, over somewhere over here? Yes, that you can 
pick up and receive, and then there's elements over here as well. And after you receive his body and his blood, the evidence, the proof of his love for you, after you receive his body and his blood, if you'd like to receive prayer tonight, maybe, maybe there's a barrier in your life to receiving God's love that you would just like someone to pray with you about. There's some folks here uh, that are prepared to pray with you. And you just, just look around. They'll be in different places in the room here. And just feel free after you've received and taken the elements to just go and let someone pray with you. And if, there, if all of those folks are... Uh, occupied praying for people and you want someone to pray for you uh, just just go back and sit down and when they're vacant there's someone's not praying with them just go over there and let them pray for you will you pray let's just let's just pray together now we remember Jesus that on the night before you died, you took bread and you gave thanks and you broke the bread and you gave it to your disciples and said, take and eat this as my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, you took the cup and you gave thanks and gave it to your disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord Jesus, uh, we bless you, we give you thanks, we praise you for what you have done for us. We pray now, Heavenly Father, that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this juice, we may know the presence of the living Christ and be renewed as the body of Christ. Until you come, Jesus, in final victory and we feast at your table forever. Would you meet us, Lord? Would you encounter us as you encountered Jessica with your love? as we receive these elements, as we receive prayer tonight. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just invite you when you're ready to just make your way over. And I think most of us know how to do these little uh, communion cups, the bread's on top and the juice is underneath. Just go ahead and you may just want to take that, go back to your seat or just, just do it over there wherever you feel, however you feel led.